Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are now tuned in to the Jags Den Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire, brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group, and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 46 of the Jags Den Podcast. I am your host and managing editor of the Jaguars Wire, James Johnson. And of course, as you all know, the Jags Den Podcast is the official podcast for the Jaguars Wire. So that being said, we're going to get right into it. Um, as usual, I have some company with me this time is Jacob DeLawrence. We actually uh, we did a podcast after the game, but it didn't sound too good. So we're going to make this one do for that one in the place of it, if you will. And um, all of that said, Jacob, my man, how are you? Oh man, I'm doing great. I was doing better until you admitted that we made mistakes. Like we've been having this whole shtick going that we just don't mess up here. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We didn't make the mistake. Okay, it was Google Hangouts. All right, and the latency on the connection. So it it wasn't us. We, <laughs> I guess that that goes that falls under not taking accountability though. That's one of them Tom Coughlin things. So I, <laughs> we got to live up to the excellence of Tom Coughlin. You know, so. I, we'll take we'll take mm. accountability for that, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, that being yeah, said, I guess we'll do it this time. Um, Phil couldn't join us, the normal host of the show, uh, but he said he does want to join us for a um, a post game podcast, which might we might do on uh, Thursday night after the game or Friday night. We'll we'll figure that out later and get with you all on Twitter about that. Uh, but you can follow us on the various Twitter handles that we have at Jagstand Podcast for the podcast. At the Jaguars Wire for the Jaguars Wire, at Sports Grind underscore Done for myself, at Phil the Filipino for Phil, at underscore Jadella for Jacob. And again, the site is jaguarswire.usatoday.com. You can also find us on various outlets, as Jacob has said in the past, uh, as we are on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Spotify, uh, Radio Public, Deezer, Himalaya. And audio boom with our comrades on the USA Today wire sites as well. So, all of that out of the way, I'm gonna let Jacob. Um, and I didn't even tell him this in advance, but I'm gonna let him take the quick hits. He, I mean, he already knows that by now. So, <laughs> uh, real quick, my man, we got I think three or four quick hits. Uh, feel free to have at those. Of course. I mean, by now I'm just used to handling Phil's role and exactly. Phil's not here. So you might as well just make me host. But moving right <laughs> along into the quick hits today, ladies and gentlemen, coming out of week one of the preseason, there are just a couple injuries. Given that the team set out roughly 33 players, most of that being starters, the only league with two injuries to backups, we call it a good day at the office. One the most notable bunch would be running back Markwell Armstead, who suffered a concussion during the game. He was the most productive back of the group with eight carries and 22 yards. He was looking very solid in the time that he was on the field before, prior to the concussion. During the game, there was no injury update given his, to his status, and I believe as of now he is still in concussion protocol. 
Yeah, I think I, I asked Philip Howman, has he been practicing? He didn't tell me if he was in uh, concussion protocol, but I asked Philip on Twitter. He told me that Raquel, as of yesterday, and yesterday is uh, Tuesday, that Raquel hasn't been practicing. So that indicates he's not going to play, probably. Gotcha. And the other injury of the group was linebacker DJ Alexander, who suffered singer during the game and ended up not returning. All in all, not the best, not the worst. Got out pr- relatively unscathed. There was nothing serious such as an ACL or an Achilles, which we've seen happen across the league. Yeah, yeah. We That's that's all you can ask for when you look at these injuries. And uh, with Alexander and his stinger, um, I, I don't have an update on him, but typically stingers aren't that bad. It's not anything that's going to hold him out. Uh, for the regular season, at least. And he probably will be able to go against his former team, the Eagles, tomorrow on Thursday. But we'll see. But, I mean, yeah, they, um, the key with him is, you know, he played well in that weak side linebacker position. So it looks like if we don't have um, the rookie back, Quincy Williams, he may can hold that down if we need him for a game or two. So, uh, yeah. I mean, it pays to have the uh, death and flexibility if necessary. Yes, especially on and Speaking team. of which, the Jags. <laughs> and speaking of which, Jaguars brought back tight end Carson Meyer and also signed offensive tackles Kajan Johnson and Ben Agilana. Forgive me if I'm butchering your name. And tight end Ethan Wolf as well. Kajan Armstead. And of course, Armstrong. I'm sorry. I, I messed it up too. <laughs> Armstrong. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Kajan Armstrong. And of course, with training camps, when you sign a bunch of people, you got to make room somehow and let a bunch of people go. And that led to the release of two offensive linemen, Jordan Agasavi, Agasava, and Andrew Lauderdale. Running back Rock Thomas was also released along with Benny Cunningham through an injury settlement. So, James, basically just the usual training camp moving and shaking, or is there something that could be made of these additions? No, nah, not never really that could be made of it. Interesting enough, they brought Carson Meyer back from Oklahoma. He uh, signed with us as an undrafted rookie after the draft, but was um I think he was uh, cut about a month or two later, maybe uh, a little sooner than that. Uh, but he was a guy that, you know, he has that size. You could play an H-back that could be a blocker, kind of what they're doing with um, Geoff Swain a little bit. So it's interesting that they brought him back. I think he has an opportunity to make practice squad. Um, and obviously, I mean, they saw enough in him to want to bring him back. So uh, he's the one to watch of this group. This group. Uh, can't wait to see what he can do in the preseason. And I hope he can stick on to practice squad personally. Gotcha. And speaking of practice, Doug Marone recently announced at his presser that much like he did in week one of the preseason, don't expect to see starters in week two. He said he's going to likely sit most of the starters and a few second teamers as well, simply because if you look at the Jaguars' history over the past couple of preseasons, we've had a few injuries that have affected things, and we've lipped into the regular season. So Marone has said before in the past that he wanted to do this training camp different from those prior. Mm-hmm. And True to his word, he's lived up. Now, just because we're not seeing the starters in week one and week two of the preseason doesn't mean that they're not getting the reps in, as it's been reported that the starters are seeing significant reps in practice. Right, so, right. hey, why not go ahead and have your starters get the reps in in practice where it's a controlled environment, the odds of an injury are significantly 
decrease versus playing in, let's just be honest, a meaningless preseason game right. and running the risk to running the risk of having an injury to say DJ Chark or Fournette or Nick Foles. So right. hey, no argument right. for me in regards to Marone and his decision. Jay, what about you? Nah, no argument from me as well. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, I want to see the starters. I want to see the starters. Okay, uh, for one, uh, Nick Foles, we all know, doesn't have the best history with injuries. We're going to talk about that later. Uh, Fournette also doesn't as well. So, I mean, like, I can understand why Marone is taking this route. I'm, this just goes to show you, like, what we talked about in a few podcasts ago, that I feel like he's – Doug Marone is straying away from – the ways of Tom Coughlin, because I feel like I'm 90% sure that Tom Coughlin would have had some of the starters play in uh, the first preseason game, albeit it might have been a series or two, and he would have had some play in the second and third one as well. So, you know, this is Doug Marone running the team the way he wants to. And, I mean, maybe, you know, him and Coughlin got together on this as well before the season and came up with this plan long in advance. Uh, but I have a hard time believing this is what Coughlin would do. But at the end of the day, it's Doug Marone's team. He's the one whose job is on the line because Shot Cullen could call – you know, if let's just say they lose four straight to open up season, Shad Khan's gonna call Coughlin and officer and say, "Hey, what's wrong?" Coughlin, for all we know, could say, "Hey, uh, we need a change at coach." You know, and then we—that's the end of Dub Marone. So Dub Marone is, you know, basically fending for himself here and trying to get the team in the best shape as possible in terms of uh, having everybody available come week one. So we'll see. And hey. Speaking of week one availability, the team has announced that they're pushing for the return of tight end Josh Oliver so that come week one against the Kansas City Chiefs, he will be there ready and roaring to go and be the safety net for Nick Foles. If it happens, that is a huge boost to the offense. But my question is, why are we pushing him back? Why are we pushing him to come back so fast when just a little over a month ago he suffered what was reported as a significant hamstring injury? Jay, any opinions? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I mean, at the same time, Marone isn't a doctor, so like, it, it what does he classify as significant? You know, like I mean, did it is it did the staff say this is significant? Uh, this, that, and the other. I mean, but if we're just gonna just go off that broad term, significant, um, maybe that's too fast. Um, but we'll see. Um, I, I again, I we'll kind of talk about this later. Uh. If Josh Oliver isn't ready, I just think they'll just go without him. I don't think they'll push him, especially. I mean, he's for one, he's a rookie. I mean, he he really of anybody on this roster, him and Quincy Williams need the next two to three weeks to be on the actually practicing with the team because simply put, they're rookies and they need this experience. So I don't know. I kind of have a hard time coming to grips with them trying if he's not ready trying to push him with him already being behind the curve with him already losing valuable time in training camp i have a hard time uh believing that they will push him if he's not ready but you know time will tell right but i think the main issue and cause for concern is the fact that it's a hamstring injury because as we've known with in particular to the Jaguars, Fournette, the hammy is one of those things that will linger yep. and linger if it's not fully killed, where they say, oh, you might be out for about four weeks, but you come back in two and you manage to play three, mm-hmm. maybe four weeks straight, no issues. But on that fourth or fifth week, you get a pop and there goes your hamstring again. Yep, yep. 
So, yeah, yeah, that's always it's a, one of them uh, chronic issues, as they call them, that you have to be concerned about. But I mean, like just looking at it. OK, so we we talking three weeks into the regular season. He's already been out, what, two to two to a week. So it's by that time, it'll be about five weeks. But again, like you have to worry about, like Jacob said, uh, that afterwards, you know, if you re-injure it, uh, because, you know, those are typically injuries that or chronic throughout the season and you know he he may need some um more time off but we'll see and yeah and that wraps it up for the quick hits that was nice quick and easy today <laughs> right and straight to the point exactly we on 12 minutes right now we rolling man so um yeah we're gonna get right into the show topics uh me and jacob talked about this one beforehand this has been arguably the biggest topic of the week cam robinson was released off of pup uh to give you all a timeline and uh, how we're going to go about talking about this. So, uh, of course, the game was last Thursday. We lost to the Baltimore Ravens 29-0. to uh, After the game, Doug Marone has a presser, as each coach does. And, um, you know, he says we'll have an update on guys that's on PUP, like Robinson and um, Marquise Lee, on Saturday. Because, as we all know, they had Friday off. So, Saturday comes. Uh, Doug Marone... And you could feel the energy, like, and a lot of the reporters there were like, he kind of feels a little gloomy, you know. Some even went as far as saying it's like somebody shot his dog. And, uh, you know, they, they even put a little brief video out on jaguars.com where you could feel like, you know, that he was down a little bit about this. And he announces that he basically, he didn't, you know, he didn't want to say it, but he he didn't know when Robinson and Lee would be back. And, you know, he had a hard time. Uh, he, he believing that they would be back by the first week of the regular season, which, as we all know, that would be kind of bad for the Jaguars because they they need those players. So, you know, he, he just kind of had that somber mood about him on Saturday. Uh, I think it was Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, my timeline may be off, but everybody knows what I'm talking about. So just bear with me here. Uh, CJ Revis, if I'm not mistaken, releases an Instagram video, right, of um you know, the Instagram story videos of, you know, the team and they, they're doing what, you know, we call raging out to some, some little boosie, basically having fun. Like they throwing chairs around, albeit it looked very bad because they're stomping on the chair with a Jaguars logo. And everybody's like, Oh, what is going on here? It, did, it didn't have the best look to it. Uh, but if you look in the background of the video, Cam Robinson is on two of the sofa, the lounge sofas standing up in a chair uh, kind of having some fun back there. So on Monday, all of a sudden, Cam Robinson, we, we get word first thing in the morning, The you know, when, when Marone has his presser, Cam Robinson has been released off of PUP. Everybody's like, what? What in God's name's going on here? Like Marone just told us on Saturday and, and reading his uh, his body language, it looked like Robinson wasn't going to be back until for a while now. And so everybody's taken by surprise. Now, the big question is with everybody in Jags Twitter and the Jags Twitter universe is like, oh, we might be rushing him back. Like, is he really ready or did did Tom Coughlin see the video and take him off of PUP? So that's where we are with this topic at hand. I guess I'll start with Jacob. Uh, Do you think that video had anything to do with Cam Robinson being released off of PUP, Jacob? Well, I would sit here to you if I said that video had Nothing to do with it. I promise you 100% when that video hit Twitter and everywhere else, Tom Coughlin somehow caught wind of it 
and Coughlin stormed down from his <laughs> office directly to Doug Marone, slammed the door behind him, looked at Marone and said, have you seen this? And insert a few expletives that we can't say here. And then told Marone, <laughs> I suggest you go fix this problem before I go fix it. And fast forward to the start of this week. Who's available and healthy? And I use healthy with quotes. Cam Robinson. <laughs> it's mm. the timing, man. Yeah, that timing is awfully, you know, it's awfully looking, weird. Looking funny in the light, if you're asking me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like I, I don't wanna I don't wanna question Cam Robinson playing I guess injured, if you will. Um and uh, you know, they talked about this on the lot on Jack's podcast. There is a protocol they go through with trainers. Uh so apparently like Maybe Cam Robinson put together some days of, you know, non-swelling in, in terms of intensive workouts. And, you know, maybe the timing is just it just is a coincidence. But I, I don't know what to make of this. I don't you know me personally. I think this is what I said on Twitter. Now, I joked about, you know, them seeing the video, this, that and the other. Everybody saw that. But I also feel like Cam Robinson is a guy to me that's a competitor. I'll say this about him. And I feel like if it was up to him, like, I don't know that he would necessarily want to be on the field for training camp because it's so strenuous. But then again, this training camp's kind of been a little toned down. But he's such a competitor. Like, I, my biggest thing I keep going back to is I find it hard to believe that he didn't want to be with his teammates and getting ready uh, in terms of practicing instead of working out with the trainers. I mean, I mean, I don't know Cam personally. I can just go off of what we know from Alabama and what we know from since he's been a Jaguar. Uh, but I, I I personally have a hard time believing that he was like faking the injury. And I, I think like, and you know what, now that I think about it, um, another reporter, Rick Ballou from 1010XL, that's the flagship Jaguar station. If I can recall, Rick Ballou was saying two weeks ago too, that he was hearing that Cam was really, was ready back then. And that's two weeks ago, but the Jaguars were just being super, super cautious about the situation. Now I can believe that. I can believe that because as we seen, Doug Marone is treading lightly this year. So that that's very believable. So it could have been a case of the Jaguars just being, hey man, we we're super we're gonna be super cautious with Cam. And then the video surfaces and, and they're like, Well, I guess we, we can release him off PUP. I mean, he's been ready by technicality by what Rick Ballou was saying. Uh, you know, maybe it's just time, but I don't know, man. It, it could you you never can trust the NFL with these issues. We've seen that in the past too. So, um, I'm gonna just say that I believe that Cam really wanted to be with his teammates, and I have a hard time that he was believing that he was faking the injury personally. All right, so let's just look at this for the sake of playing a timeline and just seeing how realistic this just happened to be a matter of consequence. I mean, um, coincidence and happenstance. Mm-hmm. Cam Robinson tore his ACL against the Patriots last year. Week what was that? Three, two. Yeah, uh, week two. So really, it's almost five weeks from a year, basically. Right. So he tore his ACL in September 16th, I believe was the date. He had surgery a couple weeks later, if I'm not mistaken. The average time to recover from an ACL used to be up to a year. Mm-hmm. They say now it's roughly six to nine, ten months. Yeah. There are cases such as like Adrian Peterson where you come back in like four months, six months from ACL, and it's like you didn't miss a step. And then you have the Derrick Rose cases where all everything is just wrong with your knee now. Right, right. So if we're going to fast forward, we'll say he had surgery first part of October of last year. October, November, December, January, February, March, 
April, May, June, July. That puts on 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. Right so, yeah, that's another thing of the timeline of this. I mean, he something you have to consider, though, is the extent of how bad it was. We don't know the extent. But, for example, Marquise Lee, we knew his was bad because, for one, he said it. And for two, we could just look on our TV and tell that that was an extensive surgery. So I can understand him taking a little longer. But with Robinson, yeah, like in theory, like Jacob said, if you're looking at a timeline, if it wasn't that extensive, it, this is about right around the time where he should be back or, you know, uh, July, right? Would have marked six months, right? July would have been roughly nine months. Nine months. So, yeah. I mean, like, by that... It would have been October, November, December, January, February. March would have been six months. Okay. So, July would have been right about nine, ten months, depending upon how you want to count it when, for, when he was cleared to start rehabbing. Mm-hmm. And the thing about Cam's injury... There was nothing that said he had a second surgery. He may have had a second cleanup surgery, but there was nothing like there was any complications from it. Right. We don't necessarily know how bad it was, like you said. So let's just assume average ACL. And let's just say because of his size and the position he plays, it took him a little longer to feel comfortable and rehab it. So we put him at 10 months. Mm -hmm. That puts him somewhere in July toward the beginning of the month. Training camp started at the end of the month. The report said he was good to go about two weeks ago. Today is the 13th of August, so he would have been good to go around the end of July. Right. Well, Baloo said it on the radio that he was good two months, two weeks right. ago. So, yeah. I mean, like... So, end of July, first of this month. Honestly, it more than likely was both things. Mm-hmm. Like, I promise you, when Marone came out and had that presser, he probably got some news. And honestly, it may have been more Marquise Lee than it was Cam Robinson. Right. Right. Yeah. That's another thing to consider here. After the presser, we don't know that, you know, Doug Marone could have gotten better news on, on Cam Robinson. And again, Doug Marone's not a doctor either. That's the thing right. to. So if he did this, like, I don't know if he went in and took a look at the guys and saw how they were doing and, you know, made the assumption off of that. But, you know, yeah, like, for all we know, the I think what Jacob's trying to say um, is Cam Robinson could have been cleared before the. For all we know, the video even surfaced. To be honest with you, because there is some yeah, yeah there's some time between that and the actual news happening on Monday. If it was, I think it was Monday that they announced it. Yeah. So here's another thing to factor in with that. Let's just be clear: jumping on the couch and playing football aren't the, one and the same. But <laughs> yeah. the argument can be made that <laughs> right. If you have your 300-pound supposed franchise tackle jumping on a couch and there's a video of it that gets out, right? and C.J. Reeves is still on the team, correct? Yeah, yeah. And I wouldn't say, like, I don't want to say he was jumping on the couch, but he was on top of a couch partying with everybody else. We'll just say that. He was moving around on that couch (laughs) relatively well. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So... CJ Reeves is still on the team because I honestly believe that given Tom Coughlin's nature and how he's operated in the past, mm-hmm. that if Cam Robinson wasn't either right on that fringe to be cleared or wasn't already good to go, there's no way C. Reeves is still on the Jaguars team right now. I don't know. Like they would have found some hard. way to cut him or trade him. That's that's hard. I don't know. That's hard for me to make the call. But it's interesting. You did you Here's did say something though that that did 
set off a light bulb in my head. Tom Coughlin has this history with the NFLPA. Now that you say mm-hmm. something, and it ain't a good history, but I think like if we're looking at like in terms of them having to go through a, a ruling system, he you know more times than not he's won the ruling situations, if you will. I guess that's the best way to put it. But he does have a history with the NFLPA. Tom Coughlin probably knows the NFLPA is watching him carefully. Uh, especially, I, I mean, I think it's at least been two incidents that he's had with them in in the past since being with the Jaguars. So that's something else to consider, too. Like, you know, they own Tom Coughlin's case. And, you know, like, like Jacob said, uh, it's possible that Cam Robinson was probably already ready to go, but that video just triggered him to be like, you know what, let's just stop holding him back and let's just let him go and take the field, basically. Right. Yeah. And the argument for Revis not being on the team anymore, D'Angelo Russell got traded from the Lakers because he leaked a video of his teammate being up to no good. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very common thing in sports where if you leak something that shouldn't be out, right. there tends to be consequences and repercussions. And the usual consequence repercussion is you're on your way out of town on the next thing smoking. Right, right. So yeah, that was unwise of him too, man. Like very, I don't, I didn't, very unwise. I didn't understand because, like I say, man, I think is if I'm not mistaken, it's Miles Jack taking one of the couches and throwing it and stepping on it. Like I said, we, I mean, me and Jacob understand it for what it is. They were basically they were having a mosh pit in the locker room. Is basically how you could put it. So they, I don't think they meant harm by it. They, I don't think like they were disrespecting the Jaguars organization they were just wilding out because I mean heck you know we all heard the stories about what's going on in the locker room Tom Coughlin's taking all the fun out of the locker room took the ping pong table out. <laughs> you know like they don't really have nothing to do up in there aside from associate with each other and, and watch TV maybe and play music so they made some fun out of nothing which albeit with, and it didn't look good but yeah like I with Revis man like I was like, what are you thinking, man? Like, I don't know if I would have released that video. The video's not stupid. Now that I think about the video, it's it's not stupid. Mm. It's the fact that all those phones and cameras around, nobody was like, yo, um, Cam? (laughs) Yeah. Or like, yo, don't. Don't, don't hey you cut the stream and, hey yo uh like that's what I think if you yeah, want to go yeah, with that I, I route think about that. it more of a <laughs> the video in of itself isn't stupid but there's a lack of awareness in the video that makes it stupid <laughs> right right but, yeah it's like yeah I don't know why nobody caught that like hey y'all Cam yo, one of the whoa, biggest guys like, on the team is you don't see the six foot four three hundred pound women right here like yo. <laughs> Get down! Get down! <laughs> what are you doing, Cam? It would have all been fine if Cam was just in the background, not on the sofas. Just honestly, he could have just been walking through, head bopping. Yeah, yeah, like had a word to say. And also, here's the other thing: he's off the pup list, but we don't know how limited he's going to be in practice mm-hmm. or anything. Because with the pup, essentially during training camp. You're free and clear to come off any point in time as long as you clear protocol with the trainers and everything. Then right. they rule you good to go where there's not a risk of a re-injury or a setback. Mm. And this also may have been a move of let's just get him off the pup list now. Mm. Let's see how he plays out over these last couple of weeks of the preseason and training camp. And going into week one, if he aggravates it or if there's another issue 
we can diagnose it as something else and then stick him on the pup list where he has to six six weeks. Right. Because if he rolled into the season, he would have set the six anyway. He could have came back and had an issue and he could not have gone back on the pup list. Right. I think what you're trying to say is like, yeah, when they put you on the pup list and they take you off in training camp, you can't go back on the pup list during training camp or, you know, before the regular season, should I say, because technically training camp is over now. But, yeah, you can't go back on. So maybe they, you know, they want to see where he's at. And, uh, you know, for all we know, I mean, that'll be telling of how how well off he was is if they put him back on PUP uh, before the season begins. And like you said, Jacob, with the um. The situation with the his practice situation, the first day they brought him back, you know, they were limited with him. I'm sure they've been limited with him all week. Uh, you know, he just – he did some – I think he did a few uh, drills with the position, you know, with the offensive lineman. But, uh, you know, I don't think he took the field for 11 on 11s or whatever. He was limited on the first day, and I'm sure with the way that Doug Marone is treading lightly with these injuries, I'm sure Doug Marone isn't going to have him out there in, like, 11 on 11s and – putting him in the, the wrong situations. And I highly doubt, personally, I don't think he's going to put him in for the regular season, to be honest with you. I mean, we, we're we coming up on what tomorrow's game is Thursday against the Eagles. That's week two. We know he's not going to play in that game. I'd be surprised to see Cam in week three against the, uh, the Dolphins, personally. I think he just might just say, hey, look, you don't need to see the field. Hopefully we'll we'll just put you on the field week one of the regular season and we'll go from there, you know. Honestly, he'll probably get a little bit of burn in week four. I mean, like maybe a series just to kind of shake some of the rest off. Yeah, maybe that's possible. It's possible, even though a lot of starters don't play in that last game. But that's possible. It's like, hey, you know, get out there for five snaps or whatever the series is and get him out, you know, and, and let that be that. But speaking of being good to go and being here for the long haul, there was a report last week where Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham was interviewed and was asked about Jaguars starting quarterback Nick Foles. And Graham mentioned in the interview that Foles had told him prior to the 2017 season or after somewhere in the range of the 2017 season, that Foles was thinking about taking his ball and going home due to a lingering elbow injury and a few other factors. Jay, mm. as a Jaguars fan for your whole entire life, and you've seen some good days, some okay days, and some really, really not good days <laughs> quarterback play. Yeah. How do you feel that man you just gave roughly 20-something mil a season for the next few years had a very way Graham described it, real close moment to just going home. Mm. How, how does that make you feel moving forward? Yeah, I mean, does well, it you? first and foremost, you know, the, the key with this is this all happened before, you know, the 2017 season. As we all know, they went on to win the Super Bowl. And then the year after that, he took them deep into the playoffs. He took them to the divisional round. So clearly it would uh, it would look like the elbow issue is past him. And then, like, we've already discussed how he's looked in training camp and he, how he looks like, at least in training camp. Now, don't take this personally, everybody. How in training camp he looks like Joe Montana out there, or whatever the case may be. Lord. <laughs> so, I mean, it looks like the injury is is definitely behind him. I'll say that. Um, but that the concerning part for me is that I think as we we've seen in history that Nick Foles 
when he's played a majority of the season that he's dealt with injuries. And, you know, I would personally not bank on him making it through the whole season in terms of all 16 games just based off his history. Knock on wood, we don't wish injury on anybody. Uh, but I'm just saying, we said with Leonard Fournette as well, you know, we, we don't expect him to play all 16 games. So I, I'm kind of on the same boat with um, Nick Foles. Uh, that being said, you know, with this news coming out, I feel like the Jaguars, I don't know if they knew before or, or whatever. We all knew that Foles wanted to retire. We heard that story many, many times. But I don't know if the Jaguars knew beforehand about this elbow injury. But if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, this is what I do say as an organization. And we've talked about this many, many times. Uh, with this news coming out, whether you knew it or not, you have to treat that backup quarterback position better than you have been. And you can't keep investing six-round picks into that backup quarterback position and hoping that one of these guys are going to be the guy this year is Gardner Minshew. And right now he's off to a bad start, albeit it was his first game. We'll see. But this injury to me says Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jaguars need to take a quarterback in the first, second or third round in the near future. In my opinion, that's what it does say to me, because for one, again, I don't expect Foles to play the whole season. And for two, if something does, God forbid, happen, we don't want anything to happen to Nick. Uh, you know, you don't want to be in a situation where you're throwing six-round Gartner Minshew out there who hasn't had, again, once again, any for one uh, snaps in the regular season. And for two, you know, again, he's a six-round pick. You know, you would want somebody along the magnitude, if you're going to do it, of a first-round, second-round, or maybe third-round caliber if you're going to do that. So that's where I stand on it. I think you know, with this information, the Jaguars really, really, really need to consider, especially with next year's quarterback class. At least it looks strong now with that class being strong. They might want to start investing in a, a it don't even necessarily have to be the first round, maybe the second or the third round. If you can get Jake from in the second round, get Jake from, you know, like whatever the case may be. But a light bulb needs to go off in their head like, hey, yeah. Uh, while Foles is our guy, we paid him all of this money. You know, this is something that we should be concerned with to an extent uh, because, you know, we need a backup plan in place if, God forbid, something happens. Yeah, this is just how I see this. I understand that somebody who has played sports and coaches sports and has been around people who have gone to extreme high levels such as AAA ball for minor league baseball and being right on the cusp of a call up and then suffering an injury and never making that jump again. Right. And being around former D1 basketball players. So I have an understanding that most athletes at some point in time seriously contemplate retirement. Yeah. That's Before they actually retire, because it's that issue of, am I still good enough? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like especially Jared for him. Lynn, he wasn't a starter, you know, really. Right. And he had just went through all of the issues with Kansas City, Jeff Fisher and everything else. Mm -hmm. So it's understandable. And then you tack on an elbow injury on top of that. It's just like, man, look, I'm going to go home. Just be with my wife. Right. Right. So it's understandable. And like I said, Jeremy Lin is a prime example of that, where he's currently a free agent. And he came out and he was like, I feel like the league's giving up on me. Mm -hmm. Like basketball has betrayed me more or less. So I'm assuming this is the mindset that Foles was in during that time frame. Right, right. And also during that time frame, Foles wasn't doing his best work and the teams he were on weren't mm -hmm. really doing their best work either. Right. So he was me. with Jeff Fisher one of those years. You can't again. You can't put like I nothing. Said, Jeff Fisher. <laughs> you can't 
put anything. Like I wouldn't take my my year with Jeff Fisher that seriously, personally. Yeah. The man should never be allowed to coach again or sit in the broadcast, but that is a different story for a different day. Right. Nonetheless, all of those things tell me that I don't want to question Foles' integrity and his toughness and his mental makeup and whatever's going on around him. Mm-hmm. But it kind of has to have you thinking a little bit of, um, what if this team kind of doesn't pan out? Right. Out again of like hmm, maybe I should just go home. Yeah, you know that that if he have a rough year, like if he's just and it's it's very possible with looking at the Jaguars' offensive line now. He could you know let's say he gets really beat up this year. What's yeah. his mindset after that? That's another reason why I'm saying hey y'all hey ding 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 ding. Let's stop playing this game with getting six round guys from whatever university and you know because Foles' health also has shown us that you know health could be an issue you know especially when you're paying somebody this much money like you know that's that was one of my bones with paying them so much again i understand you know it's not nearly as much as some of the top tier quarterbacks but still that's just me but you're on team bidding for him but that's neither here nor there and also who's to say worst case scenario that that elbow and that injury doesn't reappear in rear's ugly head then what does that do to the psyche of Nick Foles? So it presents a lot of questions that honestly weren't there a week hell, today, though they weren't there prior to this interview. So like you said, if I'm the Jaguars and I'm the front office, depending upon how this year pans out, because for all I know, they could go 10-6, win the wild card, mm-hmm. make it to the divisional round, get bounced in the division on a tough game. And then it's like, okay, well, what do we do? So that sticks you in the mid to late first round. At this point, like you said, you got to, you got to stop tempting fate. Mm-hmm. The Tanner Lee's of the world, the Gardner Minshew's of the world. They ain't getting the job done. The Blake Bortles of the world. They, they ain't getting the job done. So you kind of have to look. And like you said, this is a potentially deep quarterback class. Right. Matter of fact, I just found an article. Mm-hmm. It, Here's some of the names that could potentially be there, depending upon how the Jags season pans out. KJ Costello out of Stanford. Mm-hmm. Jacob Eason out of Washington. Yep, former Felipe Georgia Franks Bulldog. out of Florida. Uh, they yep. could keep Felipe Franks. I'm sorry, Florida fans. I, you know, I just <laughs> spoke my mind, it's all. <laughs> Speaking of Georgia, Jake Fromm. Justin Herbert is due to come out of Oregon. The only reason he went back is because he wanted to play with his little brother. Shea Patterson out of Michigan. You have Nate Stanley out of Iowa. You have Tua out of Alabama, Jalen Hurts. There's plenty of potential quarterbacks that on paper, they look really, really good, man. Like, really, really good. So you could probably go get you one in the second or third round. But really, like you said, this issue is less about Nick Foles. And it more points out how the Jaguars have neglected having a quality backup right since mm, take your pick of a year <laughs> yeah i know i don't even know uh i did i won't even say chad henny was that good. there you go yeah henny was better than Bordo, so there you go there's your best backup <laughs> oh man yeah man but i so, mean i think another thing that plays into this is like do we you know if you're a fan do you want them making the decision on a quarterback next year, you know, in the early rounds, because I think what the issue is, why they haven't done it 
is because, and I've said this before, and um, I don't want to chime in too much on it but I'm, because I want to kind of make it a shorter podcast. But, I mean, like, it's questionable to, to, to believe that the Jazz front office uh, knows how to evaluate the quarterback position. I mean, we we seen Dave Caldwell make the mistake with Blake Bortles, although he was with Atlanta when they made the decision on Matt Ryan. And we haven't seen anything. I mean, and I know a lot of people argue me up and down about this, but to, to say that Tom Coughlin is the quarterback, uh, whisper that we that people believe he is again i've said this before the man is better with he's more of a receiver whisperer than anything to me we do i've seen him do great work with receivers but in terms of quarterbacks you know he if you go back to when he when he had to uh, bring in Mark Brunel with the Jacksonville Jaguars, he didn't draft Mark Brunel, if I'm not mistaken. He They had to trade the Packers for Mark Brunel, or it was a, another team, if I'm not mistaken. And even if you want to go back and reflect on him making that call on Mark Brunel, that was, what, 1995-ish, 1994? We're talking, what, over 20 years ago. So I don't know that in, in the modern day and age that Tom Coughlin can make that call that, you know, that he knows how to – evaluate these modern day quarterbacks who are a little bit different from the guys of this era uh to make that call so that you know maybe that's why they have been neglecting the the position because it's just so hard for them to evaluate I mean yeah sure you know me and you talked about this too Jacob they sure you know he coached Eli Manning and whatnot but how much of a say did he really have in them drafting Eli Manning you know we don't know for sure but if I had to guess, you know, he may have had an evaluation or input or two, but for the most part, that was the front office's call. He coached him well, at least in his prime, but, you know, still, like, it's questionable. Tom Coughlin's history is very questionable with making the call on the quarterback is what I'm trying to say, and so is Dave Caldwell's. Yeah, this is true. And as far as the whole quarterback situation and taking the quarterback, not being able to evaluate Deshaun Watson, that's all I'm saying. And we're just going to move right on to the next topic. Exactly. It's, I mean, look, look, maybe, you know, we don't want anybody, we won't like to preach about folks getting fired, but maybe it's another front office making the call, you know, at the quarterback position next year. Um, I, I know they still got a big cap hit to deal with with Nick Foles, but I'm just saying, you know, another regime is going to want their own quarterback. I don't care if Nick Foles is down for a cap hit or whatever. They might try and trade him or whatever the case may be, but maybe it's it's somebody else making the call next year. We don't even know. So. And like we said, this is very little about Nick Foles, but very more about what's around Foles and behind him and what could be triggered if Foles does have a, another bout or a flirtation with retirement. This is the same. It is, but this is something that came up and said, hey, he thought about it. He was there. So this, as a Jaguars fan, alerts us to look around what's to look at what's around him. And it's like, mm, mm, this isn't good. Yeah. So this is again, less Nick Foles or surrounding Nick Foles. Right. And speaking of surrounding Nick Foles and some of the names that we mentioned, such as Gardner Minshew, we played a preseason. We lost 29 to zero. It didn't look good. It no, really didn't. No. But uh, were there any good? Were there any bright spots? Any takeaways <laughs> that you had from that game? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, like you know, I mean, I've I've been able to take bright spots out of the worst days when Blaine Gabbert was there. So yeah, of course there were take good takeaways. Um, and, and we, me and you, talked about it in the the podcast that we recorded that didn't go as well but um CJ Revis who we were just talking about looked like just the straight 
second coming of freaking Cam Chancellor out there. He was hitting everything that was moving. He looked good, made several tackles. He missed some as well, but for the most part, um, he, he looked good, and that's good because the Jaguars need some depth at that safety position. It's a little shaky behind Harrison and um, Gerard Wilson. So that was good. Um, like you said earlier, Raquel Armstead looked good. He was running so hard. In fact, he, he got a concussion, but he was looking like Leonard Fournette out there, and hopefully Raquel is okay and, he um, you know, everything gets right with him. But, he, and albeit he only had like a two-yard per carry average, but the authority he ran with, uh, you know, if, if you put a first-string offensive line in front of him, he probably makes, you know, those – the majority of those carries, four-yard carries, five-yard carries, or whatever. So he he looked good with what was put in front of him. Um, let's see, on defense, oh, yeah, Josh Allen. Josh Allen looked good. His first play in the game, albeit he only got one tackle in it. The first play was his only tackle. Uh, he looked good, and he got back there and stopped um, the running back, I forget his name, from the Ravens for a, a – um, a tackle for loss and aside from that Doug Marone even praised him and how he's you know how he held his own against the run because that's always an issue with college uh pass rushers is you know, we know what they could do against the passes they just struggle against the run for whatever reason but Marone singing them out for being stout against the run as well so that's a good sign for Josh Allen so yeah I mean it was some good things that came out of it Keelan Cole took a kickoff back for a touchdown they got called back that wasn't his fault though but he looked good, and um, yeah, yeah, it, it was some some good takeaways to go into week two with. All right, and like you said, I'm kind of on the same. Uh, I believe it's you. It really was just the defense, despite losing twenty nine to nothing. Yeah. If you look at it, the defense looked good, and it shows that you have a couple backups that you might be able to plug and play with for maybe. Hey, maybe I just hit a little. Got hit on the elbow, so it's a little wonky right now. They maybe need to sit for a quarter or two. Maybe you need to get by for a game or two. Mm -hmm. So you have options. It's what the defense showed us. And as always with the NFL, it's about being able to sustain something and being consistent. And going from week one, Philadelphia Eagles, Nick Foles is not expected to face his former team. A little bit of disappointment. But what are we looking forward to in week two of the preseason, Jay? Yeah, I mean, with the backups getting stomped out 29-0, you want to look for a better showing, especially offensively. You want more points on the board, of course. Now, look, man, like, ladies and gentlemen, the Jaguars, if they're going to do the same thing they did last week and trot their backups out there, and they are facing an Eagles team that puts their guys out there, their starters out there for two series or 20 plays or whatever the case may be, it's supposed to look like a discrepancy there, Okay. If the Jaguars backups go out there and play the Philadelphia Eagles for those first two series and they just if they go out there and whoop on the Philadelphia Eagles starters, then the Eagles need to definitely be concerned of if anything. Just based off what Marone said now and how he's gonna play uh play it safe with the starters now. So that being said, you wanna see uh Gardner Minshew bounce back from the performance he had. I mean, it was a mix of everything going on with his performance it was him being a rookie and making mistakes we saw the pass he missed with dj chark if he puts the ball over chark's head uh and, and guys chark you know through who who i had already beat his defender by the way but leads chark that's a touchdown so you know that was on him uh you know his arm strength was a little bit questionable that's something he probably you can't fix 
really you just got to deal with what God gave you with your arm strength. So that kind of questioned me. That means you got to be better, a better anticipatory thrower and a guy that, you know, you have to be a smarter thrower if you don't have the arm strength. Uh, so that being said, I'll, I'll be watching him to see if he rebounds from his preseason showing, which wasn't good. We all saw the lick he took and the the beating he took. The offensive <laughs> line wasn't the best either. But it was a mix, man. You know, the receivers had issues. They they had drops. Uh, he looked like a rookie, and the offensive line looked bad. So, you know, it kind of falls on everybody to look better. Um, But, yeah, I think that's going to be the biggest key for me, and I want to see what the receivers, how they rebound uh, from this situation as well. Gotcha. And you mentioned the starters and Marone saying more than likely he's going to sit the starters. Honestly, the starters that do play, do you expect to see them for more than what, two series? I don't even expect to see them, but for like one series, if they play at all. I mean, I think like, you know, gotcha. AJ can like by technicality, the reason why AJ and he played in last week's game, he's a starter, but he's out there by technicality because for one, well, the offensive line is a little beat up. But for two, he's really he's in a battle. And we should probably talk about this a little bit. He's in a battle with Will Richardson for a starting spot on the line. Now, they were battling. Let the reporters that have been to the training camp tell you they were battling for the right guard position. That's where A.J. Can started at last year. As we all know, they after that, they re-signed A.J. Can, who was a free agent, and they brought him back, and a lot of people were scratching their heads and this, that, and the other. Now we are in a situation where Will Richardson, who was a rookie fourth-round pick last year, is now a year better. Um, he's off of IR. He's healthier. Uh, he's pushing him for that right guard spot. Problem is, Will Richardson is probably going to have to play right tackle instead of focusing on the right guard spot because, as we all know, the issue with Jawan Taylor, he's injured right now. So uh, Will Richardson played right tackle week one, and he was one of the – that's one of the guys I should have said as one of the positives. He looked very good at the right tackle position. Now, albeit he was going against, you know, second and third string guys, but he's a fourth-round pick himself. So, you know, it kind of evens out. So he looked good at the right tackle position. And with the, all of these injuries, he may have to play somewhere on the offensive line to be a starter, whether that's tackle or guard. We'll have to see in due time. But he's a guy that has that versatility to watch. And, um, you know, he can play both. He, he did both in uh, North Carolina State. He's going to be really interesting to watch, in my opinion. So, uh, the yeah, like I said, going back to what you were saying about the starters, if we see some starters, I think it's more so because – those guys are fighting for their jobs, essentially, like AJ Can is. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, real quick before we wrap this up, let's just give the people, let's say, two players on offense to be on the lookout for that you expect to perform and maybe have a breakout game, mm-hmm. and two players on defense as well, just to give our fans a little something to look forward to. Um, Two players on offense I will go with. I think Chark's going to see some time. I believe. Um, let's see. Okay, I'll give you one. Tyree Brady. Okay. Tyree Brady. He was kind of quiet. He didn't register. He he almost caught a nice sideline highlight catch, but he dropped it. He didn't register a catch in the game. Tyree Brady is a guy that I I think he understands. Like especially what we we know about Lee now, uh, sees a opportunity to come on as that six receiver on the fifty man. Uh, the 53-man depth chart or roster, if you will. And he's already has that chemistry with Gardner Minshew. I think he'll step to the plate. He, he'll he want to help out Minshew more. And also, you know, in the process, also uh, flash a little bit more for the coach's sake. So he's one I think is going to break out, let's see, in 
See, I, I want to say Chark, but the thing is, I don't know, like, how long Chark is going to play. He's so high on the depth chart, you, you might not see him, but, like, one snap. Um, <laughs> one snap. One, I mean, one series. One series. I'm it's sorry. like, hey, look, we're going to take the snap real quick. We're going to throw a wide receiver screen to Chark. If he doesn't catch it, he's coming out. If he catches it, he's coming out. It's just one boom. No matter the outcome, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, Brady. Trey McBride. Trey McBride, I know that's another receiver, but uh, Trey McBride, and I mean, I'm taking him over Chark because, of course, he's going to see more playtime than Chark. But Trey McBride led the team in receiving. I think he had like three catches for 40 yards or something like that. He was like Minshew's go-to target, and I know he hit him on the third down and 14 or something to converse for that. So, yeah, Trey McBride is another guy that he understands the opportunity ahead of him, much like – uh, my man Tyree Brady and really those two are really battling you could argue off the seat the off to the starts that they got into the uh the the preseason in week one you could argue that they're battling for maybe that number six spot if you know bearing their performance going forward so that being said I'll Trey McBride is the second one on offense on defense let's see I will say um I don't want to say C.J. Revis. I think C.J. Revis really solidified himself already. I mean, albeit he he had the video mishap. Um, give me one second here. I'm gonna pull up the roster. While you take a look at that roster, it's interesting that you mentioned for offensive players, two wide receivers. Given how we, and particularly myself, have been critical of the fact that the Jaguars currently have about 15 to 17 members <laughs> of the receiving core. Right. So with it coming down to two receivers who are right on that fringe bubble that we've discussed of, ideally the team is probably going to carry six receivers. Right. And they may probably bump one of those receivers to tight end or running back or somewhere else just so they don't have all of those receivers on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting that this is going to, and like you said, it's going to be a two-person battle for probably spot number seven with the loser probably taking that practice squad spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very interesting this, you know, that we got to this point. But, I mean, well, you know, me, I have been saying all along that I kind of expected that Marquise Lee just – you know, just looking at the injury that I don't know that he would be ready for week one. So, yeah, but it, it is interesting that we're at this point where we're looking at guys like, and I'm not knocking them or anything, but, you know, if Marquise Lee's there, you know, there's no chance Tyree Brady or Trey McBride gets to make this roster. So that I, I find that very interesting. And I mean, I think both of those individuals are, are rather talented, um, to say the least. I mean, McBride is flashed with the Jets, if I'm not mistaken. At times, like that was his big thing. Like everybody's like, "Oh, McBride would always flash in the preseason," but you know, it never really translated in the end. So we'll we'll see. Um, but in terms, of, I pulled up the defensive depth uh, depth chart, right? So uh, one that came out uh, that stuck out to me, Tay Hayes. He got the um long pick of last Thursday's game against the um one of the few bright spots on defense as well. One of the only highlight moments of the game, to be honest with you. He got the long pick against the Baltimore Ravens. So he's a guy that I'm gonna be watching too. I I feel like most people would agree he's probably not gonna make the final roster. But he's you know, he's kinda battling for that uh, practice squad spot and I think he'll earn it. Um if he continues to practice as he has or perform as he has. Another one that's sticking out to me is um I was going to say Taven Bryan because he was kind of quiet, but I'll say Dewan Smoot. 
Dewan Smooth is a guy that Doug Marone singled out as well. And a lot of people for the last two or three years have kind of written Dewan Smooth off, if you will, because a lot of people think he should have been cut last year or the year before that because he hasn't really shown the, the growth and the, the progress that they would like. He's on the last year of his deal. Um, he knows that he could very well be cut or released off of his team, and he's picked up weight. Man, I think Jacob talked about this in the podcast in the past. He's at like 285 or something like that, so he's like really like a um like a small three technique, if you will, or kind of like a, a a bigger defensive end. Like he's at that weight at least right now. And Marone singled him out, and I think he feels the pressure with you know him seeing Allen going out there and doing his thing, and Allen being with the second team. I think Dewan Smoot feels that pressure that he has to uh, to step to the plate as well and make this roster and help solidify that depth at defensive end because we all know that a rotation at defensive end and defensive tackle will get you a long way in this league. So I'll be watching him to see if he uh, has a similar performance to what he had uh, last week, because um, it was obviously impressive to the eyes of Doug Marone. Yeah. And there we go. I believe that this has been a solid episode. We've given everybody a little bit of a look back at week one, a little preview to week two and a little bit of everything in between. Only thing we didn't do this episode was dance on the couch. Oh, uh, well, I don't have one in here to dance on, but I might try it later. <laughs> I might try it later, you know. I mean, am I, you know, I'm in good shape, I would think. So I don't, if I fail, I, I might be all right, I think. <laughs> he says this now, ladies and gentlemen, I promise you, if he does it, I will get a text saying he probably rolled an ankle or pulled a hamstring <laughs> by jumping on the couch. Don't give me no ideas, y'all, man. <laughs> oh, man. But, uh, I believe that's going to wrap us up today. Uh, Jay, you got anything else you want to add real quick before we get out of here? Yeah, man, that was a quality episode. We, yeah, we had like 58 minutes right now, so we made that work. Um, but no, I mean, of course, you know, we're going to continue bringing you all coverage during and, of course, you know, after the game as well. Uh, like I said, we, we might link up with Phil, me and Jacob, after the game to do like one, a pregame podcast, like exactly after the game. Depends on like how much work I get done during the game. It, we'll see. Uh, but, you know, expect uh, more of what you saw last week. Um, I, I kind of used a different format last week in terms of the postgame coverage or the, um, yeah, the postgame coverage. I did, you know, some injury news. I did some key quotes. Um, I did some, um, I did a just a full out review of the game in its entirety. So that was a little different approach for me. And uh, yeah, I'll just follow that next week. And uh, maybe we'll throw in the podcast, like I said, with it. So uh, be on the lookout for that as we get closer to the regular season. All right. Well, there you go, folks. That's what our humble and always hardworking leader has in store for all of us. So I'm looking forward to being able to potentially get this post-game podcast in. More than likely, it'll probably be Friday for you people. That way we can kind of take the night to digest what we just saw. Right. And we'll see if we're feeling up or down. Some, uh, some questionable work that it take a little <laughs> while to process, man. <laughs> and yep. That will be about it for this episode. But before we get out of here, allow us just to remind you that in case you haven't, please feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're, of course, on the Audio Boom Network, along with our rest of our wire compadres from USA Today. We are available anywhere, anywhere there's a podcast, I think, at this point now. Like, yeah, we have podcasts. We will travel to your network. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, and it's helped us to do good numbers. Like, I was looking at um, Audio Boom, who calculates all the numbers. I was like, why are we getting, like, all of these? But it makes sense because we, we're literally everywhere. So, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, there we go. I do believe we are good to go. Thank you, all listeners, for listening to us and riding with us for another week. We'll be back soon. And as always, we end this the only way we know how. Miles Jack was not down.